If you're able, if you will stand with me for the reading of God's Word. I love that. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Matthew 12, 28 through 31. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I've been involved with the Family Sunshine Center for, gosh, very long time, and I had the uh, privilege of serving on the board. I am currently the past president of the board of directors. The Family Sunshine Center is a nonprofit agency that provides hope and healing to victims of domestic violence, sexual assault, and human trafficking. Frazier has been a great partner to the Family Sunshine Center for many, many, many years. Um, whether it's from a counseling standpoint or financial. Uh, Frazier gives money to Family Sunshine Center monthly, uh, which is a tremendous help. What attracted me to being involved with the Family Sunshine Center is to give people hope and healing. It's all free. And like I said, we go into, um, we have counselors that go into the schools, um, give out materials to young people about dating, all the way to the victims in the shelter. When they leave the domestic violence shelter, they go into Exodus, um, which is another home. It's a rapid rehousing to kind of give them the, the, a step from the shelter into living more independently we were asked to look into um, uh, starting a human trafficking shelter. Um, you know, people want to put their head in the sand and says it's not happening here in the River Region, and unfortunately it is. I'm pleased to say that we got it up and running September 28th. I'm sad to say we took in our first victims on September 29th. When we launched the human trafficking shelter, we had we, we met with a victim. What was shocking was she went to a local high school here in the Montgomery area, and she said, nobody even asked, what's happened, what's wrong? She was being trafficked overnight, but showing up at school, and she was a straight A student, and started making D's and F's. She started missing school, never missed school in her life. And she said, nobody asked. If somebody would have asked me, um, is, is everything okay? Is there something going on? She said, I would have told them, but nobody asked. You know, in, in, the, in the mission of 
Frazier loving your neighbor, get out and truly love on your neighbors in your neighborhood. Um, you might be the only Jesus they see. You don't know if there's somebody literally next door to you that is in that environment. Or if you're in that situation, there's a phone number um, on the screen that will give you the crisis number and somebody manages that 24 seven. So you don't have to live in that situation. There is places for you, there's free places for you um, to, to have safe shelter. Good morning. That was a powerful video. Powerful video and a, uh, just amazing ministry. Please, please keep that ministry uh, in your prayers as they're on the front lines uh, showing the grace of God and being grace to others. And what a fantastic morning we've already had. What an amazing song. Amen. Amen. Give our choir and Wayne what they do every week is wonderful. One more hand. Beautiful, beautiful, my friend. Well, this morning we're in week six where we're talking about what it means to fulfill the Great Commission by living the Great Commandment. And I want to start this way this morning. You know, we are numbers people, aren't we? Uh, we think about numbers all the time. It's actually hard to have a conversation uh, without numbers being a part of that conversation. We talk about numbers when we talk about time, when we talk about dates, when we talk about football scores. I don't want to talk about those numbers, just to be honest with you. It's a rough year. It's a rough year. But we talk about numbers all the time, all the time. We have social security numbers. We have phone numbers. We have addresses. We, 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 numbers are this part of our life. They are everywhere. You just drive up and down Atlanta Highway, you see signs with numbers on them. You see billboards with numbers on them. You see signs and signs and signs and signs with numbers on them. Numbers are everywhere. Have you ever wondered, what do numbers have to do with the love of God? What's the connection? What's the relationship between the love of God and numbers? Numbers. Hold on to that question. We'll come back to that. I want us to step into a day in Jesus' life in Mark chapter 2. If you have a Bible, please turn to Mark chapter 2. This was a day um, where Jesus had returned from doing ministry. And then something happens at his house. And at the end of the day, he has to do some home repairs. Things get a, a little out of hand. Here, here's what happens. Mark 2, verse 1. And when he, he being Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Okay, so we don't know if Jesus owned this home. Did he rent this home? Did he live with the disciples in this home? Not sure about all that, but this is the place he called home. So Jesus has been away doing ministry, wearing himself out. We talked about that last week, and now he's, he's come home. Verse 2, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. So you see the picture. 
Jesus is at home. He's been doing ministry. He's thinking, I just need a few days of rest. And his living room is packed. People are standing in the kitchen. They're probably eating his food. That's what people do when they come to your house. People are standing at the door, lined up out the door. And notice what he's doing. And he was preaching the word to them. Preaching the word to them. He's been on the road. He's been doing ministry. He comes home, crowded house, people eating his food, people lined up out the door, and he's preaching the word to them. And then this is the part in the story where something happens. Verse 3, first three words. And they came. And they came. They came. They came. It says, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. We do not know who they are. They are nameless. They are faceless. We do not know who they are. We have no details about them outside of what they did on this day. What we see is that they saw a need in another person's life. They saw a need, and they decided to do something about it, and they came, bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men. Verse 4, and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. Some translations say D dug through the roof. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now we're going to stop there, but the story goes on. And there's this exchange, you know, because when someone makes a statement like that, of course there has to be a theological debate. And so there was, and Jesus won. And he not only forgave the man's sins... But he also healed him, told him to take up his mat and walk. And the man got up, and he went home. Miraculously forgiven, miraculously healed. What I want to focus on in this short story is what does this story tell us about loving our neighbor? I think there are six questions we have to ask ourselves. Six questions we need to ask if we're going to love our neighbor. Question number one. Is simply, can I slow down? Can I slow down and see another person's need? Can I slow down and see another person's need? Somewhere along the way, they, whoever they were, they heard about, they found out about this guy named Jesus, and they slowed down enough in life to see this other person in need. So many times we're just living life. We're just moving. We're just going. It's as if we're on autopilot. We're just moving through life, doing what needs to be done, keeping busy as life has a way of being busy. But these men on this day at least, they slowed down enough to see this man in need. Maybe they were supposed to take him to the temple. That's what you would normally do. You would take the sick, you would take the lame, maybe take them to the temple. Would you get a priest to pray for him? That's not what they did. 
Something they had heard led them to believe that this Jesus could do something for this other man. Something they had heard. And so they slowed down enough to think about it. I wonder what was running through their mind in that moment. I wonder how they were processing that. There's this guy named Jesus. There's this man in need. What if the two came together? When was the last time you saw a need that was not your own? When was the last time you slowed down enough to see a need in someone else's life? When was the last time you could look beyond the fancy clothes or the tattered clothes? When was the last time you could look beyond the dirty face or the face full of makeup and actually see a need in someone's life? If we're going to love our neighbor, there has to be a growing awareness of our neighbors. We have to slow down enough in life to see needs in people's lives around us. So the first question is, can I slow down enough? Can I actually slow down enough to see a need in someone else's life? The second question is this, am I willing to bend down for another person? Am I willing to bend down for another person. These men, whoever they were, at some point, they had to perform this very spiritual action step. And that is, if they were going to get this man to Jesus, they were actually going to have to physically, literally, bend down in order to take hold of the mat. But before they could grab the mat, they had to make themselves low. Make themselves Low. You see, the Bible actually has a word for what it means to bend down, to stoop, to bend over. And that word is the word humble. Humble. The very definition of humble means to make oneself low. What they did physically, we have to do spiritually, mentally, emotionally. If we're going to love someone, if we're going to love our neighbor, uh, then we have to slow down first, and then we have to humble ourselves in order to love them. When I read this story, I think about what a humbling thing it is to really love another person. What a humbling thing it is. I think about, I think about spouses who have to take care of their loved one, when they're weak. I think about children who have to take care of aging parents. I think about those who work in hospice, and they take care of the sick, or those who work in hospitals, and they hold a newborn baby in their hand. What a beautiful thing. It's a humbling thing to actively love another person, 
to hold someone in your hands, to hold someone in your arms. But it, you got to bend over. You got to bend down. You got to stoop. You got to make yourself low. You have to humble yourself in order to do that. It was Andrew Murray who said, Humility is the only soul in which grace can take root. Which grace can take root. Both for us to receive it, but also for us to be agents of that grace in the world. Question number three Am I willing to touch the untouchable? Am I willing to touch the untouchable? After bending down, they had to take hold of this mat that this man was laying on. I want you to get the picture, and I want to say this respectfully. We do not know how long this man had been paralyzed. We do not know how long this man had been laying on this mat. For what we do know, I want to say it respectfully, is that this man had a fully functioning bowel system, and he's paralyzed. This is not your normal, your average, can I help you off the ground? Do you see the beauty of this moment? Do you see the beauty of what these men are doing? To bend down and to take hold of this mat that this man had been laying on for who knows how long and pick him up. One of my fears about living in a coronavirus world and even going out of a coronavirus world is that we, the church, will live with a fear of getting our hands dirty loving other people. We are the church. The church is the one, we're the ones called into the pandemics to love and be a blessing and help people heal and find hope. And one of my fears is that we pull away from that. I pray that we don't. I pray that we follow the example of these men, that we're willing to bend down, we're willing to take hold of something that is dirty, but it's unto something greater and more beautiful. I believe that we have a foot-washing Savior, but He's not just a foot-washing Savior, He's the foot-washing sender. And He says, go and do likewise. Question number four, am I willing to carry someone who cannot carry themselves? Am I willing to carry someone who cannot carry themselves. After bending down, after taking hold of this mat, they stand up and they start walking. How long? I don't know. How far was it? I don't know. Was it uphill or downhill? I don't know. What route did they take? I don't know. I don't know. What I do know is that they did it. Step by step, they carried this man to Jesus. They did it. They did it. We even have language in our culture that, that kind of represents this today. If you think about uh, one of the things that sports teams say a lot is that that athlete, they put the team on their back and carried them to victory, right? We say things like this all the time. These men on this day, they bent down, they picked up this man who was laying on this mat who could not carry himself, he could not walk himself, and step by step they took him all the way to Jesus. And in so doing, they show us that love, many times for us, comes down to some emotional feeling that we have where we care for someone. What these men show us is that love is not just when we care for someone, but we're willing to carry someone. They carried him all the way to Jesus' house. And then they have a problem. Then there's a problem. Crowd's too large, house is too small. They have a problem. So question number five is this. Is am I willing to dig through the obstacles? 
If we're going to love people, we're going to have to dig through obstacles because loving people is hard. It's hard. Don't look at her, but it's, it's hard. <laughs> Just seeing if you're with me. Just seeing if you're with me. Loving people, it, it is so hard. It is hard. We hurt each other. We disappoint each other. We don't always agree with each other. There's always going to be obstacles to loving people. They will always be there. These men on this day, their obstacle was Jesus' house. Again, crowd too big, house too small. What are we going to do? We go to the roof. We dig through the roof. We let the man down in the house. That's exactly what they did. Exactly what they did. The question we have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to dig through the obstacles that present themselves to us as we love other people? Question number six is simply, am I willing to take people to Christ? The ultimate destination on this trip was that these men carried this man and took, them, took him to Christ. Am I willing, as a Christian, to take people to Christ? That is my goal for you. My goal is that you love Christ. I hope you like me, but I want you to love him. That's our goal as a church. We exist to help people love Christ and experience his love in their life. We actually do not exist as a church to make Fraser great. We exist to make Jesus great. And our goal is to help people come into this loving relationship with Christ. Again, these men, they could have gone to the temple. They could have gone anywhere else to, to maybe someone who was a prophet or something like that. No, they went to Jesus. They went to Jesus. And we have to ask ourselves, are we willing to take people to Jesus? All of us, any of us, every one of us. What do numbers have to do with the love of God? Let's go back to the original question. What do numbers have to do with God's love? With loving the way God wants us to love, with loving the stranger, with loving the neighbor? You know, in the church world, we think about numbers a lot. We talk about them all the time. How many people, how many people were at worship, right? And since we've come back, we've been looking at that number, and it's been great. It's been wonderful. And there's, there's, there's a lot of you here. Thank you for staying distant, distance from each other, you know, safe. Yes, thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you for all of you who watch online, on television. It's been a beautiful thing to uh, connect with people who do that. It, it's been a great thing, great thing. That's a number. Uh, another number we look at is offering, of course. I mean, we have to we have bills and things like that and doing all this ministry around here and all that stuff. And it's been wonderful. You've been faithful. God has been good. I, please continue, continue to be faithful in giving tithes and offerings and be generous in your giving. Please do that. It's, it's been wonderful. And God is good. And you are faithful. And there's all these other numbers that we can look at in the church. The question is, which one's the most powerful one? And how does it relate to the love of God? I think the most powerful number 
the most powerful number that relates to the love of God is the number one. One. I think the most powerful number that relates to the love of God is the number one. I get this from Luke 15, verse 4. Luke 15, verse 4 says this. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, and you lose one of them. Doesn't he leave, Jesus says, the 99 in the open country and go after that one lost sheep until he finds it? Jesus is asking a rhetorical question. He says, this is how this works, right? And everybody who's sitting there listening to Jesus going, uh-huh, yep, that's how it works. That's how it works. You have 99, you, or you have 100, you lose one, you leave the 99, you go find that one. It's that valuable. It's that valuable. I think when it comes to the love of God flowing through us, us loving our neighbor, the most powerful number is the number one. The next one that God puts on your heart, the next one that you slow down enough to see a need in their life, the next one, the next one that you bend down for, the next one that you reach out and touch, the next one that you are called to pick up and carry, the next one that you're called to push through some obstacles with, the next one that you are to take to Christ. Just one. So many times we as Christians, we hide behind the masses. We say, well, I want everyone to come to Christ. I want everyone to know Christ. The question is, who is the one? Who is your one? Who is the one person that God has put on your heart that you see a need in their life? Can you name them? Do you see their face when you close your eyes? Who's the one? Start with one. We'll worry about 5, 10, 20 later. Who's the one person you're praying for right now to come to Christ? Who's the one person that you see them in deep need? You're bending your knee in humble service to them. You're doing everything you can to touch their life, pick them up. Move through things to get them to cry. Who's the one? Just one. Just one. Who's your one that Jesus is sending you after? Here in just a minute, something's going to happen. You're going to get up. You're going to walk out the doors. Eventually, you're going to make your way to the parking lot. You're going to unlock the door or push on those buttons, however that works for you. You're going to get in that car. You're going to drive out of the parking lot. And you're going to go back to this thing called life. Do you know that there is someone out there in that place called life? that God wants you to reach. And we can spend our life, spend our life, trying to avoid that calling and stay busy or feel spiritual because we go to 10 Bible studies a week. Mm, I'm meddling, my bad. 
Or we could go find the one. I don't know which one you're going to do. I do know here in a minute you're going to walk out the door. You're going to walk up to your car. You're going to get in the car. You're going to drive out of the parking lot. And you're going to go back to that thing called life. The question is, will someone along the way, that one that's out there that God wants you to reach, will that one find true life by the way you live your life? Who's the one? Just pick one. Just start with one. Who's the one person you want to see come to Christ? Not come to Fraser, come to Christ. Who's the one? Father, would you give us a one? Right now in our, our mind, may we see the one. Lord, for those of us who are sitting here who are followers of your son, I pray that we would actually follow. Lord, help us leave the 99 every now and then and go after that one. Just one. May you inspire our hearts to pray for the one. May you inspire our eyes that we see the needs of the one. May we bend our knee, reach out a helping hand. May we pick up and lift, overcome what we have to overcome, but ultimately bring that one to you. Would you do it? Just one. We pray this in Jesus' good and powerful name.